Episode 13, and Dennis Bernstein, we are recording this on Friday, the day after an L.A. Kings win. Everybody can just breathe and chill out and calm down. Everyone's in a good mood today, DB. Absolutely. Twitter has calmed down, and and we're ready to forge forward with another episode of uh, Kings of the Podcast. Look, um, I am really excited for today's guest during the second intermission. It's Eric Belanger, really a fan favorite in Los Angeles. And as you know, DB, I love talking to guys that used to play here, getting their perspective, their memories, and just uh, talk about, you know, times that were different. We we spend so much time these days, these weeks, these months talking about the current team. I feel like we know them inside and out. But sometimes uh, it's fun to reminisce uh, for those that were around back then. And it's also even more enjoyable, perhaps, to share those stories with fans that maybe weren't around back then, but they get a chance to connect with some of the history of the team. It's not an expansion franchise that was born in 2012, John. So yeah, I agree with you. (laughs) Yes. More than 50 years of rich history here in Los Angeles. Some of it we prefer to remember and some of it we prefer to forget. Uh, And speaking of that, Dennis, we're recording this, uh, this episode here in the beautiful Don McLean studios. And for, uh, I guess I'll always ask you, DB, do do you know the name? Do you know what that means? Yeah. Don McLean, he sang American pie. Yes, a different, a same name, different guy. As far as oh. I know, not, not the same guy. Um, although there have been certainly a couple of tunes tied to the LA Kings. You, uh, you had Dave the Hammer Schultz, who recorded a, a song back in the day. And um, we had Rudy on duty here in Los Angeles. That was a big hit uh, back in the, in the 90s. So, but yes, Don McLean. No, I'm talking about the guy who was drafted 33rd overall. That was in the second round back in the 1995 draft. And think about this, DB, a couple notes to share about Don McLean. That draft uh, that year, the Kings took Aki Berg, Don McLean, Pavel Rosa, and Siplikov as their first picks. They didn't take a player in uh, from the OHL, the WHL, or from college that year until round five. That was Jason Morgan. Can you even imagine today the Kings going into the fifth round and they still haven't yet taken a player from the O, from the dub, or from uh, in the NC2A ranks? John, could you imagine Kings Twitter? <laughs> no, <laughs> all the gurus out there, all the draft gurus. What did it? No, that is that's an amazing trivia fact. Yeah, so that was a that was a fun little note. But uh, back to McLean for a second. The reason that we picked him, of course, is that he was teammates with Eric Belanger, our guest in in the in the second period. There, they played together in the queue. Um, and Don was an important figure at one point in the L.A. Kings sort of prospect pipeline. Uh, he was considered to be a top prospect, and he even made the 97 opening night roster. He had an impressive uh, preseason uh, and, and an impressive camp. And here, DB, I know you love Frozen Fury history. He yes. scored the game-winning goal in overtime 
at the very first ever Frozen Fury. So the legend of Don McLean was really growing at that point. Um, but it didn't go very far, unfortunately, for for young Donnie. He played 41 NHL games, 22 of those in L.A. that season, that 97-98 season. And then after that, basically just had a couple of uh, games, you know, cup of coffee, as they say, with Toronto, Detroit, Columbus and Phoenix to round out his total 41 games in the NHL. Then he went overseas and uh, played four more years over there. But here's an interesting sort of footnote in all of this, Dennis. You think, okay, the guy goes overseas. He's going to make some money. He's going to finish off his career and probably never to be heard from again. Lo and behold, he resurfaced in 2015. I don't know why I was going to say 25, but in 2015-16, he resurfaced as an assistant coach with the Sioux Greyhounds. And that name might sound familiar because, of course, it's one of the most legendary um, you know, junior hockey clubs. Matt Volalta, who's an uh, L.A. Kings prospect right now, he played for the Sioux. Jake Muzzin, formerly, he played for the Sioux. And there's a guy you might have heard of him, Wayne Gretzky. He played for the Greyhounds as well. So a legendary franchise. I think Joe Thornton played there. All sorts of good stuff. But only one year, just 2015-16, and that was the end of it. And we haven't really heard much from Don McLean since then. You've gone very far down the kings of the podcast rabbit hole with this guy. So great job, John. <laughs> well, it's you get started and you can't stop, DB. It's like, oh, really? Right. That's, that's, that's the problem. What about this? Well, oh, look at that. That's interesting. Uh, you want to talk uh, a rabbit hole? Let's get into some numerology real quickly because, yes. of course, we're going to have Belanger uh, coming in during the second period. He wore 25 in Los Angeles. So that's a number that we've touched on before. Uh, because we had Dustin Penner as an example on the program. Um, so we've touched on 25 before, but there are some interesting things, again, connecting back to our guest, but they're funny and they're unintentional uh, connections here. So 22 players in all have worn number, or actually 21. There's 22 listed, but I'm going to get to the 22nd one in a minute. 21 players have worn that jersey, number 25. And of that group, ironically, Craig Duncanson back in 1986 wore that number and you might remember we were talking about him during the Wayne right uh, Wayne Reichel man I'm having a rough one today DB during the Warren Reichel uh podcast Craig Duncanson and then on the last program I think it was the name of the studio was Peter Praisler and he wore 25 so a couple of unintentional tie-ins that happened there um more I guess you would say prominent names uh, that perhaps that wore that number, at least more recent names. Kevin Stevens wore that number for a while. Eric Belanger wore it in 2001 to 2006. Uh, Noah Clark, the first born, uh, born and raised California player to play for the LA Kings or Southern California player uh, in 2007. John Clem uh, wore it in 08. Matt Molson, we talked about Penner. And then uh, here's the thing, though. At the beginning of training camp this year, the 22nd player was assigned that jersey. However, he has yet to wear that jersey in a game. So officially, he has not worn this number as a member of the LA Kings, but he did wear it during training camp this year. Do you happen to know who that player is? No. Well, Earl Skakel is going to be very disappointed in you. Uh, Boko oh, no. Mo okay. That's the hint. <laughs> yes, that was, only yes, one player now, John. <laughs> it, uh, it limited your choices to, to a very, very small list. Um, yes, Boko Imama wore that number during training camp, which was interesting. And Boko, of course, has been on the taxi squad a few times recently. Uh, and most people tend to still be confused about the taxi squad and whether they're in the NHL or the AHL and where they are. And we won't get into that right oh, now. We, no. we've, we've talked about Please it plenty no. here over the last uh, couple of episodes, but yes, Boko is playing. He's playing with the Ontario rain. We'll talk about them in the third period. And uh, if, and when he ever gets into an NHL game with the Kings, he is at least at this point slated to wear number 25 and join that list that includes Eric Belanger. 
So there and, you go. And John, Maybe. bless you for keeping keep reporting the uh, tra roster transactions every day. You know, you want to know something funny, DB? Because uh, we haven't talked about this, so I'm going to tell you the truth. Every day when I get the roster transactions, I I, I have this pause. I start to type the tweet out just because it's like Pavlov's dog. Like I'm just, I'm, right. I'm in auto mode. Like my brain just goes, Oh, there's a roster transaction. You're supposed 100%. to tweet that. And when I'm in the middle of tweeting it, like uh, typing it, I actually pause every time. And I go, do I even want to do this? Like why, why? it's just going to cause more confusion than it's worth. Right. <laughs> and then, and then I don't know if you noticed, but yesterday I tried to offer an explanation yes. like to, to prevent the questions. Like, hey, everybody, here you go. Take a look. Mikey Isimont and Tyler Madden, they were placed on the taxi squad. This is a paper transaction. They're going to get a few more bucks put in their pocket because of they're this. Not However, however, they're not going to play. Right, right. <laughs> and tomorrow morning, they're going to go back to the AHL and they will play on Friday night for the Ontario Rain. It still wasn't enough. So I, I, I don't know. You're doing a kindness for everyone, John, by doing that. But it, 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 takes a, it takes a bigger man than me to do that every single day. <laughs> so, so if and when there is a day that I stop reporting those paper transactions, you'll know that that day I just That's waved news. the That'll be a story. There you go. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, look. The LA, look, everyone's in a good mood. The LA Kings, as we said, they, they uh, not only defeated the San Jose Sharks on Thursday night, but they, they picked up three out of four possible points. Uh, which is the first a first for them that it was you know they haven't picked up three points in a two game series yet this year. Not that surprising considering that San Jose, uh, like we've talked about, probably expected to finish near the bottom of the Western Division. Uh, but nonetheless, you still have to go out there and you know and play the games. Um, why don't we do a couple goals for and a couple goals against DB from from the two game series? So this is yes. from the shootout game and from the win. So. We'll go. We'll go for the two game set. What do you want to do for? How about this? How about this? How about we do goal against first? Because we've been starting with goals for, and then we end on a negative with the goals against. So let's start with the goals against. Okay. Um, the last this series and mm -hmm. a couple games before that is a wake up call for Gabe Bellardi. Um, he he's really got to get going. He he just he, he's not impacting play. Uh, John, he's got a twenty five percent shooting percentage. He shot eight times in thirteen games, five on five. He just needs to be more engaged in the game. I'm not sure what it is. And again, we're expecting great things. He's what now, 20 games into his NHL or 23 games in. But he's really got to start moving the needle. Like last night, I watched that game. Jared Anson Doe was far more impactful than the middle and Gabe Velarde. Now, I'm not going to say he's going to usurp his spot, but but Gabe just needs to do better in a lot of facets of the game. And and hopefully by the week, by the time we get to the end of the season, he'll be a much better player because, John, I'll submit to you, and I know you run down how many great prospects this organization has. This is the pivotal player in the organization, mm -hmm. I think, right now. Mm -hmm. I, I would like to see not only Martin Furk with Gabe because there's uh, some, obviously some, some chemistry there between those two, but, you know, I, and I've commented about this, and I even asked Gabe about it. I like Dustin Brown on that line. I know that Kopitar would disagree with me, but yeah. I like Brown perhaps more than I like Carter with Velarde, actually. So I'm curious to see where the carter Velarde thing is going to go uh, over the next couple of weeks. But uh, I, I just think that he needs some sort of veteran presence there to help him. Mm -hmm. And then I'm wondering about the type of players that can, uh, to borrow a phrase from Robo, can kind of drag him into the deeper waters. Right. And uh, you, know, you think yeah. of a player like Velarde, and he's so dynamic that he shouldn't probably need that type of a player. But when you're a young player and you're trying to find your way in the NHL, Sometimes you do need that. Um, the the face-off percentage has been overall 
getting better lately. So there, there's there's a positive with young game Velarde. But uh, okay, so that's a goal against for you. I'm going to give you uh, one of my two goal against goals against here. I'm going to begin with the meltdown on Twitter. Um, obviously, everybody was in a great mood uh, on Thursday, but on Tuesday it was almost overwhelming. Uh, just way too much. Everybody complaining about everything. Um, you know, <laughs> people just for whatever reason, it's like they're not understanding or embracing what the situation is. No wonder why Coach McClellan has been so uh, sort of sort of grumpy at different times this year. Like, do people not understand that the L.A. Kings have two of their six defensemen, two of their starting six defensemen out of the lineup? They don't have Matt Roy. They don't have Sean Walker. They're icing three on this is on Tuesday, right? They were icing three defensemen with less than 50 games combined. I'll say it again because it's important. Three of their six defensemen had a combined total of NHL experience of less than 50 games. Like, chill out, people. These guys are learning on the fly. They're not. It's so weird to me, DB, that when coaches, including McClellan, put players on a third pair defense or a fourth pair at forward and break them into the league softly and slowly, everybody complains. Oh, come on. He's not a bottom six player. You know, put him on the top line with Kopitar. Who cares that he's 18 years old and hasn't played any pro games? But then when they when they break them in or when they do put them up there and they don't perform, then they complain about that, too. It's like it, it's like no matter what, the coach is damned if he does and damned if he doesn't. And uh, it, it just it, it was really frustrating on Tuesday. But I had a great solution, Dennis. I don't know if you noticed. Please. My solution on Thursday going into the game. And I want to thank all of my followers on Twitter because 99% of them went along with it just fine. And maybe the fact that the Kings were winning allowed them to do so. But at the beginning of the game, I asked everybody, will you please not tweet me any word? <laughs> can, you, can you just tweet me gifts and pictures? That's all I wanted, right? Because, you know, yeah, a thousand thing. words. So, exactly. so, yeah, save your 280 characters or whatever it is that you have. Just please just send me a picture or send me a gift. And um, it worked out fine. It was it was great. It was very it was very enjoyable to tell you the truth. So um, that was my goal. That was my first goal against the meltdown on Twitter. Chillax, people have a good time. It's hockey. Watch the watch them play. Yeah. Watch the <laughs> watch them. <laughs> what play. did Bobo tell me a couple episodes? Don't worry about the tie I'm wearing. Just watch the game on the ice. So there yeah, you exactly. go, everybody. Thank you. Follow Robo's advice. You know, get off of Twitter. And go have some fun. Watch the game. Anyway, DB, what's your second goal against? Uh, the end of gameplay. Uh, you mentioned they got three points against San Jose in this series. They look like the better team. Again, last minute, Evander Kane ties the game. They wound up losing in the shutout. So you just can't prevent goals in the last minute game. And it's not the first time either. In what, 14 games, they've given up that uh, last minute goal twice, uh, cost them victories both times. And if they have those two victories, the, the record looks better. So they just, and I get it. It's just guys going to the net. That's what Todd said. It's just they're outmanned, outnumbered the, at the net. But you, you got to win those games. You got to win those battles. Yeah, Todd disagrees with you. He doesn't think it has anything to do with the end of the game. They lost the game, the first goal of the game, which he told you and he told his wife. I, I don't know why, but I found that funny when he, when he referenced his wife and said, I went home that night and she was like, honey, uh, you know, it was a great game. You guys almost pulled it out. And he's like, no, I'm going to tell you the same thing I told the media. We lost the game on the first goal. I don't know why, but I found that funny. Yeah. No, and he created a great point. He goes, you don't know which minute of the game is the deciding minute. I thought that was a great mm -hmm. one. Yeah. No, he, well, he's had some good ones lately. Um, all right, let's get into the goals. Or no, I have a guy I have to do a goal against here. Uh, you're talking about the end of the game. I'm going to go with the start of the game. While the start of the game on Thursday was great, we can't just uh, gloss over and sweep under the rug the start of the game 
uh, game one in the series because it was yet another example of them coming out and uh, not giving the start that they needed. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, this is... And I know people want to coach talk, talk about the coach preparing them. The players got to be ready. Like when, when you're this, de- and we're Joe, we're almost 20% into the season. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you have to start better. Like, you know that you, if you're on the ice for the opening shift, you got to be on your toes. Right. Cause mm-hmm. the opposition knows you haven't been playing well to start the game. You know, you haven't mm-hmm. been playing. Well. So I get, you could talk about the coach, but it's, it's incumbent upon the players to be ready at the opening faceoff. How many times does he have to say, be ready. How many times does he have to tell everybody to draw up plays, to practice it, to whatever? You know what I liked? I liked what Drew Doughty said uh, at, after the game on, on Thursday night, after the second game. And he said, hey, you know what? It's not just the coaches. Uh, the leadership group stood up and spoke to the team before the game on Thursday and told them, told everybody what the expectations were. That made a difference. I, I really do believe that that made a difference because it wasn't just coming from the coaches. It was now coming from the peer group. Oh, absolutely. 100%. It's, an, it's a player issue, not a coaching issue, because you know, everybody knows about it. Everybody's talking about it. So be ready in the first 90 seconds. Okay. Let's get into the fun stuff, the positive stuff. Do you have a, a goals for? Who do you want to hand a goal out to? I do. Um, Carl Grunstrom, his five on five play has been excellent. Three goals, four points. Look at the hit you named, they nicknamed him Tonka. He's given out 23 hits, he's only taken eight hits this season. Five on five. Mm-hmm. So he has been fantastic for them. And you mentioned the type of player that Velarde needs to be. So if it's not that veteran, if it's not Dustin Brown, maybe at some point, although you don't want to break up the chemistry of the guys are playing with right now, maybe it's Carl Grunstone. But I think he was fantastic. And we talked about Dustin Brown light. You watch his game, John. That's where he's trending to. That's the type of player he can be. And he's just been fantastic five on five so far for this team. I, I love Grunstrom, the idea of Grunstrom being on a line with Velarde. I'm all for it for the reasons yeah. you just described. And how about this, DB? I was asking uh, Grundy the other day about a player that he tends to be talking to and trying to learn from. So it's kind of the opposite question of, hey, is there a veteran player who's taken you under the wing? It's more of, hey, is there a veteran player that you're seeking out and trying to gain information from to fast forward your learning curve? And he very quickly and immediately pointed to Dustin Brown and said, that's the, that's the guy that he's talking to and trying to learn from. And uh, it, was, it was fantastic because there's not a better player on the team. If you're Carl Grunstrom, that's the guy that you should be talking to and trying to, to emulate. So uh, hats off to Tonka. That's great. And a couple of good gifts, by the way, in the, in, in the game on Thursday night as well, tying back to that. that. Okay, my uh, (laughs) it's good stuff, right? Um, I was going to give you a goal for saying that they played left, but that was too funny and too easy. So uh, I'm going to pass though, and I'm going to say Austin Strand definitely gets a goal for in my book. Uh, Todd mentioned it the other day that, uh, and I think Drew said it as well after the game on Thursday that hey, they really weren't sure what to expect from Austin Strand. You know, he's not part of that anointed group, uh, anointed group, I should say, of uh, you know. Anderson and, and, and Clegg and Bjornfoot and Dursey and all those guys. And so Austin Strand uh, wasn't talked about in the same breath as those guys. But yet quietly over the last couple of years, he's been in the American League. He's been uh, under the tutelage of Mike Stuthers and, and Chris Height. And also, you know, remember, he was an undrafted player, so signed as a free agent. He was a big offensive player in the WHL. He played with Matt Barzell as well. And uh, he, he came to Ontario and he perfected his craft. He worked on it. And uh, now he's up in the in the NHL. And to be honest, DB, he's looked just fine there. I, I haven't yeah. seen a problem with Austin Strand on the third pair. Yeah, well, uh, you know, Curtis McDermott, watch out. Well, that there's there's a point there, except for the fact that, you know, 
we all know that McDermott brings a physicality that nobody else, you know, in the organization is able to bring, at least at this moment right now, um, back to Imama. Maybe you could swap out and you could see him as a, you know, as an extra forward. We joked a couple episodes ago about maybe moving McDermott to forward, but I think it does raise some questions. And DB, let's put a pin in that until the third period, though, and talk sure. about when Matt Roy and Sean Walker come back and, and, and sort of the glut of uh, defensemen that they're going to have there. So that was my, uh, my first goal for was for Austin Strand. What was your second goal for? Well, I'm going to ask Todd again probably tomorrow if there's availability, but when your goalie plays four straight games and your save percentage is now 942 and your high danger save percentage is 915 and when the other goaltender's statistics are bad, and they are, and it's, it's painful to say that, I don't think there's any question Cal Peterson's your number one goalie, and I think he's going to ride him, but we'll see what happens. I know that you do need two goalies in this a 56-game schedule, but if they think they're going to get back in the race and they're going to need and they're going to be playing a compacted schedule, but this is clearly Cal Peterson's net right now. He has been fantastic for him. He's among the league leaders in every statistical category when it comes to goalies. So, uh, And now I'm interested to see what kind of teammate Jonathan Quick is because, John, he's never – You can you tell me the last time he sat four games in a row when he was healthy? I can't remember. It's a very long time since John's been in this situation, so it's not about Cal's playing even – it's about how Jonathan's going to react to not being the guy anymore. Isn't it? Yeah, I think you're right, Dennis. I, I can't think off the top of my head. That's a really good question. I can't think of the last time that he sat four games like this when he's been healthy and available. Uh, but please do ask McClellan. I'm sure that he's going to love you to ask yeah. that question again. Um, so he'll really, he'll really enjoy that. Hopefully he's listening to the program today and he can prep his answer. Well, They're John, gonna have- it won't be a two-minute question. This is the last minute of play in <laughs> Inside the Inside joke. Inside media joke. <laughs> <laughs> see if you can stretch it. There you go. I'll, I'll clock you no. and you see if you can stretch it out into a two minute question. And no. then it's not going to matter how long you ask the question, because I can tell you right now, it's the answer that's going to be rather short. <laughs> uh, there is no goaltending controversy. We have two in goalies. Los Angeles. Uh, we have two goalies would be the proper prob- probable answer from coach Todd McClellan and uh, good for him. Uh, let's see. My other goal for is going to be John. I, I think, yeah. look, um, Everybody wants to talk about this roster the whole year. Everyone's been talking about the forwards. They've been complaining about guys being in the lineup. Todd McClellan has tried to tell everybody, everybody that will listen, hey, offense is not the problem on this team right now. Defense is the problem. He's been preaching that all year long over these first 13 games. And uh, they have switched players in and out of the lineup, and the offense has still continued to be there. But Jared Anderson Dolan was a guy that I had penciled in uh, as part of the, the group of forwards coming into the season. And then the addition of Anthony Seo sort of kind of threw things off. Yeah. And then on top of that, Leah Anderson and the trade for him at the, uh, at the draft sort of threw things off there as well because it became rather tight on the NHL roster to, to get all those players on there. But so Anderson Dolan had to kind of bide his time. He spent some time on the American League. Uh, training camp, and then he also spent some time on the taxi squad, finally got an opportunity, and DB, I tweeted this out yesterday, I, I don't think Jod's coming out of the lineup anytime soon. I agree. I, look, he's tenacious. There's a bite to his game that, and let's let's be real here, that Amadio doesn't have. You know what John reminds me of? He reminds me of a type of player that would have been playing in Vegas in the first year. But that tenacious type of team that fought every inch of ice, for, you know, you fought every inch of ice for that's the type of tenacity I've seen with this player. And he's got skill. So do I think he's the number two you know, center of the future? I don't. But he certainly deserves a longer look. Um, and he's been great. And I just, again, I love his bite. I love his tenacity. I think he's been fantastic when they give him the opportunity to be in the game. 
Yes. And just so everybody has the proper expectations, the organization sees Jod as a bottom six player in the NHL. Right. So, and that's not meant with any disrespect. They no. love, they love him. They love his game. Uh, for whatever reason, all these Xbox GMs out there, they only care about who's on the top line when the reality is if you're GM Rob Blake or coach Todd McClellan, you're trying to find t- the combination of 12 forwards, yes. right? So you're trying to look for four lines and Anderson Dolan is one of those guys that should be able to give you solid minutes and clearly McClellan has taken a liking to him. You just look at the fact that he's increased his his responsibility and been giving him additional minutes since drawing into the lineup. Absolutely, 100%. But yeah, good on John for, for coming through when uh, it's a pivotal season for him. Absolutely. DB, outstanding first period. Why don't we uh, get to the other side of the break? We have Eric Belanger coming in. We'll talk all about his time with the LA Kings and hopefully get some funny stories out of him related to some of his former teammates as well. After the break, Eric Belanger will join us. Welcome back. Second period of Kings of the Podcast. And uh, we're really excited to have our guest on here today. He played 820 games in the National Hockey League. Eric Belanger, Belly, welcome to the program. Hi, how are you? Well, I guess my first question is just, does anybody still call you Belly? I don't mean like your your former teammates, which know <laughs> you as that, but like, do you still meet new people in your life, you know, now that you're in your 40s and, and people still call you Belly or no? Yes, there's still a lot of people calling me Belly. Uh, I still do TV broadcasting here up in, uh, in, in Montreal and, uh, all my coworkers or anchors are calling me belly. So, uh, it's still, uh, it's still attached to me and, uh, I guess it, it probably will for the rest of my life. No, well, you could have a worse nickname. So that's, that's, that's a good one. We'll keep that one. Uh, <laughs> We do, besides nicknames, one of the things that we talk a lot about on the program is because I just think that it's so tied into the sport of hockey would be the number side of things. And, of course, you debuted in L.A. and and wore number 25 here. You wore a number of of different jerseys throughout your career. But I'm curious, do you remember the very first jersey number that you were ever assigned back at rookie camp with the L.A. Kings? This is a rare trivia question that I happen to know the answer to. Do you remember? Yeah, it was 70. You were. Uh, That's right. uh, yeah, number 70. Uh, my first training camp at the Kings after getting drafted in 96. Uh, number 70 was given to me uh, at the time. And uh, when I made the team, uh, my first year, number 25 was uh, was the number giving, giving to me. So uh, I, I stuck with 25. Uh, I wish I could have kept my whole career, but sometimes you go to different organization, the older players have it or or in some cases, uh, number 25 was retired. So, uh, But 70 was definitely the uh, the first number given to me in the NHL. So between 96 and 2000, we'll get into that a little bit later, but I want to jump into your debut in the NHL. Your debut was October 6th, 2000. You're in Washington. You score a goal, two assists. What are you thinking that night? Are you thinking like, hey, the NHL, this is easy, no problem? <laughs> well, first of all is... Uh, 
you know, after a, a, a few, a couple years in the minors and some injuries and, and then you, you start, you start doubting yourself. Am I going to ever make it to the NHL? And then, uh, Andy Murray gave me a chance, uh, probably only because, uh, Joseph Stumple was holding out on his contract. And, uh, you know, on the other side, I, I was doing well also. I took it, uh, I was prepared. I was in shape when I got the cap and, as soon as Andy uh, told me I was making the team or or the, the debut in the NHL, uh, I had an Hall of Famer playing with me, which was Luke Orbitai and Zygmunt Palfi. So it was a pretty good uh, start to the NHL to be on the line with those two uh, uh, at the time were unbelievable, unbelievable players in the league, and uh, it was it was just an unbelievable feeling. A little guy from Sherbrooke and in Canada and. Uh, you know, I had to, to work hard to get there and to have a goal and two assists in my first uh, game and, and on top of it getting the win. Uh, but playing with Luke Robitaille was just an unbe- unbelievable feeling. Who was the better player, Luke or Ziggy? Uh, different players. <laughs> uh, By the way, Luke's Luke, listening, Luke, so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope he's doing well. Uh, Luke is, Luke, Luke is a scorer. I mean, the, you put the the puck on this tape in the slot, and uh, eight out of ten, it's in the net if you have time. You know, Zingmun was a guy slowing the game down. Uh, he, he was he's probably the best player I've played with on the power play, uh, running the power play on the half wall. He was unbelievable. Saucer pass, uh, like I said, slowing the game down on the rush. Uh, uh, Zingmun Puffy was an underrated player in my eyes. He was really, really talented. Yeah. So those two guys, uh, I mean, I, I just had to win face-off, go in the corners, give the fuck to Ziggy, Ziggy to Luke, and vice versa. I, I ended up being, being at the right spot at the right time uh, on my first goal, but those two guys were unbelievable to play with. You know, I was going to save this for later on, but let's just get to it now. How about when Andy Murray then went to the French line and he had you with Luke and then also yeah. with Ian Perrier? Yeah, that was... Uh, uh, towards the end of the year, uh, uh, my first year, and uh, right before the playoffs, I know I couldn't remember how many games we played together before the playoffs started, but we had, we had chemistry in their locker room, and and obviously we did have uh, chemistry on the ice. I think we did a really good job uh, uh, those two rounds uh, of the playoffs. Uh, you know, the upset over the the Red Wings, the comeback, me scoring in overtime, but Lappy was just a pleasure to play with. Play with. Uh, just such a grinder, and, and for me, I like carrying the puck, and Luke was always uh, well-positioned in the offensive zone, so it, it was a good uh, a good match playing with those two guys, but what an unbelievable uh, run we had in the, in the playoffs that year. Now, everybody knows, like you talked about, the talents of a guy like Ziggy Palfi or even with Luke, but how important is it to have a guy like Lappy on a team to be successful? Oh, that was, it's huge. I mean, Lappy was a was a cornerstone of that team. Uh, uh, such a vocal guy in the room, and and a lot of times you, you you can have vocal guys, or you can have leaders that are talking, and we got to do this, we got to do that. But they get on the ice and they don't do it. Lappy is a guy. If he's going to say something in the locker room, he's going to back it up on the ice. So that's that's why I really respected that. And Lappy took me under his wing. Uh, my first year in the in the NHL with the Kings, uh, I stayed at his place with his wife. Uh, uh, for a few months until I, I was confirmed I was going to stay out with the team. So, you know, I owe him a lot of uh, of, of the early success I had in my career. And 
Lappy is just an unbelievable guy, such a pro. And to be able to watch him every day, day in and day out, I was traveling with him to the ring before games. Uh, he liked to go three and a half hours before games. <laughs> I didn't like it, but I, 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 I have no choice because I was, I was in the car with him and I, di- I didn't have any cars, any car at the time in LA. So here we go. We get to the ring three and a half hours before and I'm like, okay, what am I doing now? So I, I used to watch him prepare and stretch and, all that stuff helped me through my career, so uh, it was a blessing to have him in my uh, early in my career. Now, Luke also has a special place in his heart for you. I- I'm just curious, can you give us a good Luke Robitaille impression? Pretend that Luke is talking to you about something. <laughs> Billy! Well, Luke, Luke, would, Luke would call me Billy or Slick. Slick, uh, Slick was a nickname Luke gave to me because of my uh, uh, the way I, w- I would dress my suits or... Uh, a couple of years, uh, my couple of years in the NHL, I had the uh, the hair flow going, uh, licked back. Uh, so he called me Slick. So Luke would call me Slick. It's Luke. What's going on? But he would he would speak to me in French. So it's it's really hard for me to, uh, to imitate him that well. But with his, his French accent and uh, what's up, Slick? Hey, Slick. Let's you sound go, just like him. Let's, actually. Go a, let's go. Let's go have a couple of beers tonight. Let's go. Give me. Put the fuck on my six flick. I'm open in the slot. You better give me the puck. So that's <laughs> that's, that's pretty much Luke. But uh, that's good we stuff. Had, uh, we had a we had an unbelievable time with Luke. He's such a funny guy, and uh, what an unbelievable job he did for the uh, the LA Kings. Still, still, still does it. Still there. Still the face of the franchise as the president yeah. of the team. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. uh, how about this one? On the other side of things, you only played 20 games against the LA Kings. And I'm always fascinated with with the memory that, that former players have. Do you remember how many goals you scored against the Kings in those 20 games? Oh, boy, that's a good question. Uh, I remember one game with the Wild. Uh, I scored two goals. But uh, the total of goals, I don't. Man, you probably will. You're probably going to tell me yeah, it was <laughs> the th- number of goal, goals. It, it was it was three goals, and yes, one of them was a game winner. Um, here here's the thing that I found most interesting, though, when I was digging through your stats, you had 16 hits against LA in your 20 games. And the reason that I found that so interesting is that you didn't play against LA very often. Like I said, only 20 games, but 16 hits. That was your highest hit count in your career against any team. And, and if you think about it, you played like twice as many games. You played 45-plus games against Calgary, against Vancouver, and Dallas, and all these teams, and you had yeah. half the number of hits. So when you were playing against L.A., you, you were pretty wound up. Well, it was always special. I mean, the, the, Kings, the Kings is the organization that drafted me. It's the organization that uh, gave me my first contract, gave me the first opportunity to play in the NHL. I was there uh, for six years, met some, some long, long life uh, friends. So, uh, you know, the Kings has a, have a special place in my heart. It's, called, it's always going to be the team, my favorite team uh, of my career. And, uh, you know, every time I would go back to play at Staples, I had the chills. And it, it was always special, especially going back to Staples. Uh, that, that place is special. My, my daughters, my two daughters were born there. Uh, uh, you know, LA is a special place in my heart, and it's funny because my oldest daughter is 17 now, turning to 18 in May, and uh, she wants to go back. She's like, "Dad, I want to get, I want to go on a trip with you. I want to see where I was born. I want to see 
the homes we lived in when uh, when you played there. I want to visit the town, so uh, it's on the bucket list uh, in the next few months. Hopefully, uh, when the COVID is over, to go back there and and have a, a daughter a father daughter trip. Oh well, that you gave me chills just listening to it. That's fantastic. I hope that uh, you guys are able to do that this year. That's great. That's good stuff. That's what life is about. It's not yeah. about hockey and goals. It's about it's about family and those memories and those road trips. Um, let's go back. Exactly. Let's go back a little bit deeper. So, in in junior, you were teammates with another former king, uh, Don McLean. Now he was drafted the year before you, and I'm just wondering, did you ever get a sense that the King Scouts maybe had an eye on you when they were there watching McLean? No, uh, honestly, I had no idea. And, and the funny thing is, uh, when I got drafted in 96, uh, I was ranked, uh, I think, in the first round or early second round. And for me to, to slide, I, I slid on uh, to the fourth round. And for me, it was tough because I saw uh, players in the queue that were getting drafted before me. My stats were decent. decent. I think I had uh, 85 or 84 points that year. And uh, I was invited to Team Canada at, at, uh, at the camp to go represent uh, Canada, the World Junior, and I got hurt at the camp. So, uh, but I had no idea the Kings wasn't a team that I spoke to. Uh, so, I, and for me to get drafted in the fourth round was was surprising. But as soon as I got drafted by the Kings, I started looking at the lineup, and I'm like, okay, this is a team I can crack in the next couple of years. And Larry Robinson was the coach, and. Larry in my first couple camps helped me a lot, and uh, uh, I got hurt. My second training camp, I got hurt. I think the third day of the camp broke my nose, broke my hand. Uh, I think I, I, I would have a decent chance to make the team that year, and uh, it was just a, a crazy year for me. Got hurt the whole year, only played 31 games or 33 games in the AHL, so it was a d- d- disaster of a year. Training camp, started training camp was unbelievable. Scored a couple goals in the first two scrimmages, and then I broke my hand. It was the end of the day, but uh, I, I I felt I was going to have a, a chance to make the team that year. You know, your NHL career, fantastic, right? 820 NHL games, as I mentioned, but I think some people don't really realize the struggle to get there or the road that you had to travel to get there. Moving from the draft in 96 and before you made it, you talk about the American League. You spent time with four different teams, you know, Freddie, Springfield, a game in Long Beach, Lowell. That's a lot of instability. How challenging was that for you to work on your development, really your prime development years, in order to try to get a crack at the NHL? It was hard because, uh, you know, you, uh, back then, the uh, <coughs> AHL, NHL team didn't have, there wasn't many teams with affiliation only with team, with players from the NHL team. So my first year, we had seven or eight players from the Kings organization and the rest were Montreal prospects. And the next year was the Islanders with the Kings. And then the, the year after was another organization. So, uh, I think it was a, a Phoenix. The Coyotes in Springfield. So you, you never had the sense, uh, or oh, is the coach going to prefer the players from the other organization? Sure. Or what do I have to do this and that? So, uh, and sometimes you would see players get called up from different organizations. You're like, shit. Uh, I wish I was with them. I would get called up. So it's, it's a bunch of stuff and moving around and, get, uh, packing your stuff, going to different cities, but it, 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 it grew me, it helped me to grow. Uh, the character I, I had to become an NHL player, but it wasn't e- it wasn't easy. My second year, like I said, uh, in Springfield, where I broke my hand, I came back. I had back problems. At the end of the year, I had a, 
uh, a major injury with a blood clot to the, the vein going to my heart. I had to go back to LA to get a surgery. So, so you're always like, shit, am I going to make the NHL? This is like, and there's a lot of times through those years, I'm like, you know, I don't want, I don't want to go through that. I'm going to, I'm going to do something else. I'm going to go back to school and, uh, and find a real job. But I never gave up and I'm glad I never did because my, my dream was always to make the NHL and I did. And, and you talk about all of those type of struggles and what's on your mind. And then in 2006, now you are an NHL player, had been for a few years, you know, short of the time period you went over to Italy. We probably could do a podcast on that too. But in 2006, the Kings <laughs> get a new general manager in Dean Lombardi. And one of his first big moves, he trades you to Carolina for Jack yep. Johnson coming back the other way. You talk about the Kings being, you know, your team. How heartbroken were you uh, when they traded you to Carolina? That was hard. That was uh, the hardest thing I uh, experienced in my career, to be honest. Uh, we just bought a house a year a year before that, uh, doing some renovations. My my second daughter was born. Uh, you know, you always you feel like you're going to be there forever. And you know, I was the kind of player that you knew you knew what you're going to get, and not too expensive. And so you so I I was thinking that I was going to be there forever. And then uh, a change of direction, change of a GM, change of coaching staff. And uh, I got the call. I was in San Jose in, in the preseason. I'll always remember Ron Stahl uh, brought me to the, uh, uh, to the, to his hotel room and say, you know what? Uh, uh, we really like the player you are. You are. Thanks for uh, all the years you gave it, you gave to us, but uh, you've been traded to Carolina. Carolina. So it's like, I got, <laughs> I got to call home and then tell my <laughs> wife, uh, well, we've been traded and, I've never, I've never went back to my house. I, I, I was on the road. I met the team. Uh, I couldn't remember where. I think we went to Carolina. I was with uh, Tom Gleason, and uh, that was the end of it. Uh, you pack your bags, and uh, I've never went back to LA after that to my house. Wow. Now, years later, uh, or not years later, excuse me, but at the end of your your sort of run there in LA, great times. You mentioned um, the playoff run there. You told me a couple years ago, if I remember correctly, that you were still playing, uh, you know, beer league hockey with Potvin. Are you still doing that? Men's league? With who? With Felix Potvin. Uh, no, I don't. Uh, I don't have time. I don't play beer, beer leagues anymore. Uh, with the coaching and the broadcasting and the and my daughters and all the stuff going on in my life. Uh, no, I don't. Uh, there's there's a bunch of, uh, of professional. Uh, Philippe Boucher is playing here. Mogani, there's a bunch of uh, ex NHL players in Quebec City that play every Thursday night at 4:30, uh, but I don't have time because I I coach and I have practices. So uh, uh, maybe one day I'll go back, but uh, you know I don't really miss it. I'm on the ice every day with the with my team coaching, so I I, I I'm on the ice enough for now. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, obviously, a lot of drama going on at that time as well with. Rob Blake and what was going on behind the scenes and then him eventually getting traded. Just what are your memories of, of that time period where, you know, everybody was on pins and needles wondering if Blake was going to stay or if he was going to leave. And then eventually they get dead. Mar the Kings, yeah. that is, you know, they get dead Marsh and, and Adam Miller and all that stuff. Just what are your memories from that time period during the regular season? You know, it was, it, I, it was still early in my career. So for me, I was, I was on the back burner. Like, you know, I was a rookie, I think when he got traded and, uh, you know, Blake, he was one of the best defensemen in the league, such an unbelievable leader uh, in the locker room. And you hear talk uh, 
uh, was he was going to get traded and about his contract situation and all that stuff. And it was hard to see Blakey because it's it's a veteran I like watching. Uh, it, he's a it, it's a veteran that really uh, was good to me. Uh, was, his wife was good to my wife at the time, and uh, so it was hard for me to see uh, our captain leave. And uh, but we got two uh, two quality players. Denmark was, was unbelievable for us. Aaron Miller was good. Uh, you know, I I find out early in my career that uh, it was a business because one of the best defensemen in the league got traded, and so nobody, you know, Wingrinsky got traded, so. Uh, anybody could be traded. It was hard to see him go, but hey, that's part of the business. And what's the, what's the dynamic like? And I know it was early in your career, but when you think back on it, the dynamic of getting several players from Colorado and coming in and sort of changing the 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 mix in the locker room. What's that like? Yeah, uh, it, it's it's always hard because uh, I, I I've been part of uh, of getting traded quite a bit myself, but. Uh, to see those guys come in and Adam Demarche was a guy, you know, uh, a, a good prospect for the, the Quebec Nordiques. And I was a, a fan of the Quebec Nordiques. So I knew him. So for him to come in is like, oh, I was like a, a groupie. <laughs> and so to see him, to see, to see him come, uh, come play for us. And he was hard and sold player. Uh, but those two guys were quality players. The, the players we got for Blake, we were quality, uh, human beings. Uh, off the ice and great players on the ice and those guys helped us uh, quite a bit uh, in the round of the, of the playoffs in my first year after the trade so uh, no, at least we got some quality players and some quality teammates in the locker room so it was tough at first but they, uh, uh, they got used to us pretty quick you mentioned your daughter earlier does she understand or have you explained to her maybe even do you understand how important you are still to LA Kings fans I mean fans to this day still talk about that overtime goal that series they talk about you you're you're very much remembered by LA Kings fans are you, are you aware of that and is your daughter aware of it I guess uh, I guess they she starts to know a little bit but for her I'm just the dad like the the dad that likes to, to play around with them. I always like to, to tease them. You know, it's, I, 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 it would probably be different if I had a, a boy. Mm-hmm. But my, my, older, my oldest daughter is starting to know what's going on because she, she has a lot of friends that are into hockey and I'm coaching Midget Triple A here, so, which is the same age, uh, same bracket of her. So she starts to know, but she's, I don't think she knows the, uh, the magnitude of that that goal in the first uh, uh, my first playoffs so uh, maybe when I go back and I show her the town and we meet some people she'll uh, she'll figure it out but I have a bunch of uh, I have a bunch of uh, paper uh, newspaper articles in, in the basement I gotta show to her it's, it's ready to, to be unpacked and uh, one day when she she asks me I'm gonna be able to sit down and and show it to her well, we'll set up an autograph uh, signing for you, and there'll be a line around the building. People wanting to get you to sign that picture, and she'll think it's cool at first, but then eventually she'll say, "Dad, come on, this is taking too long. Let's let's get out of here. Let's go." It's probably what'll happen. Maybe that's maybe that's what it takes. Yeah, I would I would be into that. I would be into that. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, is that overtime goal? I mean, when you think back, eight hundred and twenty games, and like you said, so many different teams and so many different moments. But is that overtime goal? Is that is that the highlight of your career? If you had to pick just one. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean that. My first goal is hard to beat. Also, like I said earlier in the, in the interview, playing with Luke and Zig, 
uh, coming from, you know, from a lot of, of uh, adversity. Uh, but that overtime goal was unbelievable. My first goal was unbelievable. My hat trick against the St. Louis Blues, uh, probably the top three highlights of, of my career with the Kings or with my career overall. Do you have any memorabilia at all that you keep? Oh, yeah. A uh, bunch of pucks, uh, a bunch of uh, team pictures that I have. And it's funny, last week I was going through, because uh, I moved again here uh, a year and a half ago, and then there's some boxes I haven't unpacked with a bunch of souvenirs, some magazines uh, when I was on the cover, uh, uh, some team pictures, some pictures with Luke, some pictures with Lappy. Uh, I got a bunch of, of stuff downstairs. All my jerseys that I wore with the Kings, and my all-time favorite, and I'm so glad the Kings went back to the yellow jersey and the purple. I hope they go back to that one forever because it's the best jersey in the NHL. Well, you're going to have to talk to Luke about that when you uh, when you make your trip to I LA. Then. <laughs> I will, 100% will. <laughs> Belly, it's been fantastic. I-, I could talk to you for another hour. This has been great. Uh, I appreciate you finding some time to do this. I know we- we've talked about it for a couple of years now, but really enjoyed having you on the program and, and catching up with you. And uh, look forward to you coming to Los Angeles, and we'll have to get that, that autograph signing set up for you. I know it's my pleasure and I miss the people in LA and definitely looking for it to go back and and see you guys. All right, Eric Belanger, there you go. We will talk more about that on the other side of the break. We'll be back. Welcome back to the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the Mayor. Welcome back, third period, and, and boy, thank you to Eric Belanger. Uh, so many nuggets of yeah. of good times in that interview. Probably my favorite point, DB, was uh, him doing the Luke Robitaille impersonation. Uh, that was that was amazing. I'm sure I'll be getting a text from Luke about that. We'll have to see if it's a thumbs up or a thumbs down whether <laughs> whether he enjoyed the impersonation. But Dennis, I want to tell you uh, a story that I don't think has been made public before. I, so I did a little digging, did a little bit of research, and I wanted to share. Uh, a backstory about Eric Belanger being traded away from the LA Kings and how it really was kind of a, I'm going to call it a milestone moment within uh, uh, Dean Lombardi's early tenure. So you, you, got, you up for a story? Absolutely, Jake. All right. So check this out. So Dean Lombardi is hired uh, in April, I believe, of 2006. And then it was later that fall that uh, he made the trade to send Eric Belanger uh, to Carolina along with Tim Gleason. And in return, the LA Kings picked up Jack Johnson and uh, Tevardoski. Now, from what I've gathered, originally the trade was pretty much, it was going to be straight up. However, there were some dollars and cents that had to be worked out, and that's how the other guys ended up in the deal. But the the genesis of the deal was Tim Gleason for Jack Johnson. Um, and 
So when when Dean Lombardi first brought this to his his lieutenants at the time, Mike Fuda and Mark Unetti, et cetera, when he brought it to them, apparently they were very surprised that Carolina would be willing to part with Jack Johnson because he was, of course, the number two overall pick and number two guys. You know, they just don't get moved that early in their career. Right. So there was a lot of surprise um, in that. So but this is what happened. This was one of the first times that they used video to analyze a potential trade. So here's kind of what happened um, from what I understand. Dean got a group together, which included scouts and coaches and whatnot. And there were about 11 guys that got together on this, which is a really large group and not how Dean did things later. But this is early in his tenure. They sat around the boardroom, the war room uh, there at TSPC, and they took a vote. Who wants to do this trade to, to, to move out Tim Gleason, who they um, you know, really liked, a young defender uh, that they picked up, I believe, from Ottawa. And, and now they're going to be trading him before he ever really made a mark on the LA Kings. And they're going to be bringing in Jack Johnson. Do they want to do this deal? And uh, they they went around and uh, took a vote, and it was like nine to two, uh, something like that, that were in favor of making the trade. Well, then they start using video to start taking a look at things, and they're looking at Jack Johnson. And there was a guy; it was Yanetti that was heading up some of the video, along with a guy Nick Bobroff, who now I believe uh, works for the New York Rangers. And so they bring in and they're showing video. And you have to remember that at this time, video was not nearly as prevalent as it is now. So the camera angles and the different things that they had available, it just it wasn't the same as it is today. But they're trying to evaluate this player and they go deep from what I understand. They didn't just go back like, you know, the last year. They went back two, three years of trying to find game tape and try to identify how has Jack Johnson changed? How has he improved as a player? Is this something that they want to do? So after, guess what? After they start watching the video, each round of the video, and I guess they did like four or five rounds of video over this week-long uh, time period that they were hunkered down on this deal. Each time, the votes were changing because they watched the first set of tape, and basically all the votes swung the other way, and nobody wanted to make the trade anymore because they didn't like what they were seeing. Then they watched another game from another season, and they're breaking that down, and they're showing it, and then the votes kind of... So the votes are flipping back and forth throughout this time period. Basically, to, to, to short shorten up the story a little bit at the end of the deal uh they were able to get the votes that they needed in order to make the trade and at the end they were not just factoring in the play that they saw on video but also they were factoring in age distribution and some of the salary issues as well and that's how eric belange ended up being part of the deal and they had to take tevardoski back in the deal uh and that's kind of how it all unfolded but there was a lesson to be learned in there and the lesson that they learned is how dangerous it is to try to evaluate players on video. Just video, yeah. It, just video, right. And the reason I'm bringing this up, Dennis, is that now, fast forward 10, 15 years later, and we're in the middle of this pandemic, and mm -hmm. all of these people, are uh, scouts and teams, are having to watch video to make right. decisions about players that they're going to be drafted. And there really was a lesson to be learned in there because the Kings ended up doing kind of two things ended up coming out of that trade. One is that as time passed, they adjusted and changed the way they looked at video and the way they evaluated video and the way that they weighted video and what they saw. Because there could be, based upon the isolated cam or based upon the recency, there could be some inherent things about the video that would lead them to a conclusion that was actually wrong if you then compared that information to all the data that they had available. So they, they learned early on that video could be very scary. And number two, they learned that they had too many people in the room. That... Mm -hmm. Sure. Because at this point, you know, Dean's early in his tenure. And so he's building his circle of trust, if you will. Of uh, but so, you know, he casts a wide net. But as time went on, that group became smaller and his circle of trust became, you know, uh, uh, 
well, just that it became much smaller than what it once was. And it wasn't, uh, there weren't as many people in the room weighing in on all of these things. Uh, but I found that fascinating just to find out that when, when you look back at that trade, what's, what's memorable is the impact that video had because it was one of the first, it, not one of, it was the first trade that, that they really had used extensive, ex, used video extensively to, uh, to reach a decision and make a decision. And obviously they've come, you know, leaps and bounds cool. since then. They have, you know, a full video staff and the stuff they do with video is, is just, you know, unbelievable now. Um, but pretty fascinating in my book. Agreed. Before we go on any further, let's remind our listeners that, of course, uh, support for the show is brought to you by Manscaped. And hey, fellas, we are in the thick of winter and there's a storm brewing from what the uh, weather people are telling us. So if you uh, need to get out there and you need to trim some of that uh, hibernation that's been catching up with you, if it's uh, something that you need to work on, get a hold of the folks at Manscaped. They specialize in products that will make sure that you're walking around town feeling good and looking good. Manscaped, of course, is here to provide you with the best tools for your grooming experience. They offer precision engineered tools for your family jewels. And uh, Dennis, you know, the 3.0 trimmer, the lawnmower 3.0 trimmer features a lot of different uh, elements that, that we've come to sort of appreciate. You have the, the ceramic blade, which of course has some, some technology that'll prevent you from, from snagging and cutting and, and causing some, some issues. And uh, then you also have the LED light that you're pretty, pretty fond of DB. Yeah, I want to. I, I just want to copyright it at this point in time, brand it, so uh, trademark it. So yeah, but the I love the LED light because you know as you get older your eyes go a little bit. So uh, and I'm not 25 anymore. So the LED light has been an amazing addition to uh, my grooming uh, habits. There you go. They also have the weed whacker ear and nose hair trimmer. They have their performance uh, boxer briefs, the anti-chafing boxers that are available. They have a travel bag. They uh, have all sorts of stuff. Apparently, there was a poll that took place and um, the nose hairs and the ears hairs, I guess 79% of partners polled admitted that those uh, hairs can be a turnoff. I mean, who knew? Oh, I want to oh, know. I want to know, though, how it's only at 79%. What 99%. is wrong with the other 21%? Because I'm going to tell you right now, I mean, I'm not a woman, but if I was a woman and I looked over at a man and he had hair growing out of his ears or his nose, that would be a turnoff. So don't get old, John. Don't get old. That's my advice. No, that's you, what you can it's get amazing. old. No, but Dennis, you can get old. You just have to take care of it. You have to get the weed whacker and you get you, the weed you whacker. It. it solves everything. Yes, that's like, you know, that's that's what it is. We have to cut our nails. We have to we have to cut our hair. We have to shower. We have to do all these things. It's grooming. Okay, whether you're Yes, whether you're male, female, young, middle-aged, or old, it, all of these grooming things are are important. So they should teach a class on this in school when you're younger, like personal hygiene or something to make sure that everybody's aware of what they need to do. By the way, DB, you can also get the Crop Reviver. You can get the new cologne that we've talked about. The key here is this. You get 20% off and free shipping. Use our code, which is K-O-T-P-N-E-W. It's really easy to remember. K-O-T-P-N-E-W. You use that at manscaped.com. You get 20% off plus free shipping when you use our code K-O-T-P-N-E-W. And uh, by the way, thanks to Manscaped for making our uh, winters look so good. Absolutely, Jay. Okay, Dennis, let's talk about the LA Kings roster here as we wrap up today, uh, today's program. And thanks again to Eric Belanche for coming in. We, uh, the LA Kings decided to take Friday off, and that's fine. They, they moved things around. Originally, they were going to practice Friday and then have Sunday off, and they moved things around. They're getting three straight days of practice, which Todd McClellan just has to be giddy about at this point. Um, I did mention on Twitter earlier today that Double uh, A and Blake Lazat, they are coming out on the other side of the protocol. The plan probably, from what I hear, is to have them skate 
they're cleared to be on the ice, uh, but probably by themselves for a day or two and then join practice. So I'm just kind of connecting the dots here. I would imagine that if everything goes well, they'll probably be uh, playing, excuse me, they'll be practicing with the team perhaps on Monday. So we'll find out about that. But we mentioned earlier in the show, Strand. So let's just talk about this. You, you have on the defensive side right now, you have Anderson, you have Dowdy, you have Bjornfoot, Clegg, Mata, Strand, and McDermott. That's your 7D right there. And then you're going to add to that, hopefully soon, Matt Roy. And then a couple of weeks later after that, perhaps add Sean Walker. Now you're talking about 9D. Normally, most teams only carry 7D for an extended period. You might carry 8 in a temporary you know, kind of deal, but you're only playing 6 anyway, so it doesn't really matter who's on the roster. Let's talk about who's playing. How do you put the, uh, put the 6 together once Roy and Walker are back and available? Um, Anderson and Dowdy, mm-hmm. um, Roy and ugh, I don't know, Clegg. Walker. Yeah, you slide Clegg back over, probably. Yeah, uh, Walker and I don't know right now, Strand and mm-hmm. or my, well, it's tough because Clegg might have to sit in favor of Mana and that would start a riot. But it's going to be unless you carry H on, you know, you can go 23 on the roster. You can do, although I think got to carry three. So you could, you could do 12, eight, three um, is uh, you could send strand back. I, I don't think he's, is he waiver exempt? He's exempt. You can send strand yeah. back. You can yeah, send Clay to be on foot. Yeah, no, because strand wasn't part of the plan. It's mm-hmm. great. It's wonderful. It's, it's, it's another lever you can pull. But I, I got to get the other kids more time. And Clegg's been mm-hmm. fine. Clegg should be playing. He's playing 17 minutes a night. He's playing both sides. You know, he, maybe, he's, maybe he's the Alec Martinez of this team, right? I mean, so that, that's what you look at. But you got you to gotta have these kids playing more. So I think it's less about getting the right kids the time as opposed to asset management at this point. Yeah, see, I would agree with you that um, Clegg plays. I think the question becomes Bjornfoot or Strand. And here, here's why I say that. And I know one's righty and one's lefty. Right, but right. the original idea coming in was that Clegg and Bjornfoot were going to rotate. So it was one of them that was always going to be in the lineup. Right. So if you just look at that spot on the second pair as an example, it would be either Clegg or Bjornfoot um, on the left side playing with Matt Roy over on the right side. And then you would have uh, on the third pair, you know, in this case, you would have Mata playing with... Um, uh, Sean Walker, excuse me. Right, right. And, and then McDermott, you know, he, he would spell any number of players uh, on, on a given night, for example, but that would be basically your seven. So if Clegg and Bjornfoot are, are swapping, then it, you're right back to basically where you started the beginning of the year. Although you've switched the pairs around, it's the same right. seven defensemen. Correct. And at some point, you're going to move Clegg out and, and send him to Ontario to give him games. And then you're going to slide Bjornfoot in because, again, the idea was to have them split the season. That's really where I was going is that has Austin Strand done enough to enter into that conversation? And if he does enter into the conversation, because think about this as well, he's probably going, Strand is probably going to be needed uh, longer uh, because Walker is ex- uh, expected to be back last. Right. So, for ex- right. right? Yeah. So, Matt Roy comes back and you can still kind of sure. go with go with the plan that you were really? talking about, right? You Clegg Clay slides to the left and Clegg and Bjornfoot are swapping out. And, and, and um, Matt Roy is there on the right side. And so the opening still exists on the right side on the third pair, which gives Austin Strand a chance to continue to play. 
But if Strand plays for another 10 or 15 games and he's really playing very well, yeah, then I think you're faced with a very interesting sort of decision about how to make this work. So uh, I don't envy Blake or McClellan in that particular case. So that, that's interesting. I think I'll welcome the, that problem, John. What's that? I think I'll welcome that problem. Oh, yeah, sure. That's, it's, it's a great problem to have. Absolutely. And meanwhile, Robo is probably sitting there in Ontario thinking, can you please send me back somebody? Give me Bjornfoot or give me Strand or give me somebody uh, to beef up the defense that they have there in Ontario. Um, but he, he has his hands full with, the, with his roster as well. So uh, among the forwards, obviously, Matt Luff got into the game last night. And the, the, the forward lines seem to be a little bit settled right now. We talked earlier. I'm not sure that Mike Amadio is going to have an opportunity to get back into the lineup in the NHL. And quite honestly, Dennis, that's okay. He's yeah. had his opportunity for multiple years. He was given his opportunity. Yes. And as we talked about on one of the preview shows, this really was like for the first 10 games, you know, give him every opportunity. They put him on the power play. They did everything. It was like his one last stand to try to solidify a spot in the NHL lineup. And unfortunately from Michael Amadio, I just don't think he did it. Yeah. I just think there's too many other players that need time and longer look. And you're right. He, he had enough time. He's had over a hundred NHL games. Um, it's time to just pass the baton to the kids that have uh, half a dozen or a dozen games and see what they can offer. Okay. So now let's work in double a and Lazat. So what do you do? The top line, let's just for argument's sake, say that it's pretty settled, right? It's Ayafalo, it's Kopitar Brown. Second line, right now you're looking at Kempe with Velarde and Carter. Okay, none of those guys are coming out of the lineup, even if you move them around onto different lines. Um, third line, you're talking about uh, Grunstrom playing with, what, Leah Anderson? Uh, or no, Grunstrom, I'm sorry, was playing with Jod and with... Uh, Moore. And with Moore. Yes, I'm sorry, that was, yes. And then, um, so, I mean, who do you take out there? Potentially, you could take out Leas Anderson, uh, but do you want to? Have you liked what you've seen from him? And then, of course, the other line was uh, what I called the law line, which was working from right to left instead of left to right. You had Luff, you had Anderson, and you had uh, uh, Wagner. How do, you, how do you get... Double A and, and Wagner, to me, are interchangeable. I, I, don't, I don't see a reason to have both players in the lineup. They're too similar, in my opinion. Well... Both Lazat and Anthony have been out a while. So mm -hmm. I, I think at least it's – you're probably – if they came back on Saturday on the 13th, you're talking about, I think, a week to 10. I think you're not making a call on them until you're in the middle of that road trip. I don't think mm -hmm. beforehand because you want to get enough speed conditioning. You don't know how they're going to recover from being out the, off the ice that long. So at least you have a time to delay. But I, I agree with you. I think it's, it's going to be a carousel on the fourth line because I, mm -hmm. I agree with the top nine – Right now in the moment, you're not going to break up any of that chemistry uh, unless you want to start sitting veterans, Sean. I mean, uh, and I know you say – I look at Carter, and I know he's eating a lot of minutes, but he's not really doing anything offensively. So you want to scratch him once every five games or six games, wouldn't necessarily have a problem with it. I, I, yeah, I, I don't see it. I don't, I don't think that, that would be something that they would do. You're telling me that they're going to scratch Jeff Carter to get Blake Lazat minutes? No, the one of the wingers. He's not no. playing center. Uh, it, 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 John, again, it no, depends. Lines are set. So how are you? Wh wh who are you? Who, who's going into the lineup? But that, if but that one up? line, Velarde's line isn't doing anything. They actually well, Velarde's line is brand new. Velarde is now with Kempe and Carter. Yeah. Okay. I watched them Thursday. Didn't get rave reviews from me. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying down the line, John. If you're going to come into this. 
I'm okay, I'm okay with Carter sitting not every night. Mm-hmm. If you sit him every fifth game to get some other players, younger players time, I'm totally comfortable with it if they're not going to produce. If, look, you put those three guys together and they hit it off and they start producing five on five, I get it. I understand it. I, I'm, I'm really looking at what the big picture is here. And mm-hmm. it's okay for me to sit some veterans uh, every so often to get a better look. I'm not saying okay. that Jeff Carter should be on the, on the, you know, on the bench, every, should be in the box, every press box, every game. I'm saying at this point in time, something's got to turn here because, you know, look, Jeff's supposed to score goals. How many goals do he have? He has one. I'm right? not saying he's not, not a valuable player. And you look at his time on ice and he's eating a lot of minutes. I think he has two, by the way. Yeah. Okay. So the development of this team, if that's the preeminent issue, then I, I wouldn't be at any veteran other than maybe Kopitar isn't really doing it. I wouldn't have a problem sitting a guy occasionally and going to the player beforehand and telling him that. See, by the way, we need to look at these players. I need to sit you tonight. I understand what you're saying. I, I get the reasoning behind it. I just would have to say that I disagree. I don't think there's enough leadership. Excuse me. I don't think there's enough experience. That's what I meant to say. I don't think there's enough experience in this lineup as it is. And I would, I would be really hesitant to take someone like a Jeff Carter out of the lineup, even though it's for one night. I understand what you're saying, but I would rather see a platoon situation with a, a, a group of younger players, you know, whether it's uh, Matt Luff or Leah Anderson or some of these guys, especially guys that haven't um, uh, like Elias Anderson, as an example, who hasn't played a tremendous amount of games in the organization. Like I have a real problem taking Jod out of the lineup only because he has he's served his time. It's like yeah. a Kale Clay. He's done everything that was asked of him in order to earn an NHL job. And now you have to give him that run. And so, um, you know, for someone like a double A, I, I don't feel as committed to him as no, an organization. Yeah. And, and, you know, and Blake Lazat, I mean, let's, let's be honest. He, he had a full season last year and it, he's a great story and all of that sort of stuff. But uh, Blake Lazat is not the long-term two C. He might not even be the long-term three C. If you really think about Jod cementing himself yeah. as the three C and you think about what's coming over the next couple of years in, in Turcotte and some of these other guys and how they're going to have to make room for people. Um, you know, I already Lizotte question could where, be in Seattle next year, John. Exactly. I questioned the long-term, you know, sort of, uh, uh, future of, of Blake Lazat uh, with the LA Kings, just because I think there could be a roster squeeze. So Agreed. as you said, though, DB, we can put a pin in that for now. It's still a good week or so away. McClellan has been very quick to remind everybody that when players come back out of protocol, it does take them a week or two to get their conditioning back and to, uh, to get them up and running. So fun discussion, DB. I'm sure uh, people on Twitter will, will share all of their opinions and, and tell us that we're crazy and uh, all that sort of good stuff. A couple of quick notes before we wrap up though um, on the Ontario rain, there has been some discussion recently that the OHL is about to return to play. And uh, if that happens, which is still about a month away from them getting going, of course, the Kings are going to have to make a decision on Quentin Byfield and Arthur Kaliev. I'm going to give you a crazy theory here, uh, DB, of one uh, alternative sort of solution. And it, it does further complicate what we were just talking about, which is a tight roster spot. However, I'd have to lay the sort of the calendar out to figure out exactly how to make this work. But you could potentially potentially you could not release Byfield and not release Kaliev to go back to the OHL. What that means is they would have to be on the NHL roster. And if you, if you played one of them every like three days, you have seven games, really six, but you have six games to play with that you can play them without triggering their ELC and that sort of thing. What you could do is you could, uh, play one of them like every three days. And so they're taking up roster spots, which is going to create a problem for you. But you drag that out over, you know, 
call it a month, and then you could potentially send them to the American League for a conditioning assignment. You could sort of slow play it to the point that um, the, the, the OHL season is over, especially if they don't have a Memorial Cup this year, which they haven't announced that situation either. Um, you could play it out and then you could potentially have them, I believe, finish up in the American League because uh, junior hockey would be over because yeah, it's only a 24 game seasons, allegedly. So. Exactly. It's, and people are wondering, well, why are they doing this? Why is the OHL even starting? Guys, it's real simple. Players that have been drafted already that have teams to go to like a Kaliev, like a Byfield, they're playing in the American League. So the, the AHL right now is as good as it's ever been in, in terms of quality of prospects, because there are all these prospects that are playing that normally would not be playing in the American league right now. However, there are a bunch of other players that n- few people are talking about because those players haven't been drafted yet. All of the other players on the Niagara ice dogs and on the Hamilton bulldogs and sure. on the <laughs> Brandon wheat Kings and all of these various teams, uh, the Windsor spitfires, you know, we can go on and on the Sioux Greyhounds that we talked about earlier, all of those other players they need to play, especially if they're going to be drafted in 2021. So 24 games, while it's not fantastic, uh, you know, it's not ideal. It is something, and it gives the scouts an opportunity to see, see some players. games and to have some some recent information on these players who haven't played in a year. Yeah. Um, so I think it's fantastic that they're playing. It's going to help with the draft. I never liked the idea of doing two drafts at one time in 2022. I've heard that floated. That just doesn't make any sense to me. I've talked to a couple of scouts. They don't like the idea either. Um, So all that being said, I think there might be a way to slow play this and get around the 24 games, but it's going to be really, really tough. And it would involve some some critical decisions for the Kings. Uh, In other words, what I mean by that, DB, is that some players would have to be put on waivers to send them to the American League. That's what it's going to come down to anyway. I, I really think that that's what we're heading towards is that some recognizable names might be put on waivers and you just got to risk that they're going to clear. Yeah. Well, that's where that's also where <laughs> I've said it so many times. I feel like it's, it's just a repetition at this point, Dennis. This first month of the season of the of the American League is so critical. What happens right now is so critical because Quentin Byfield is basically auditioning right now to stay out of the Ontario league. He's he's trying to force the Kings to make a decision to keep him right to force them to say, no, we don't want him going back. We want to keep him in our control. We want to have our development guys working with them and we have to figure out a way somehow, some way to keep him. And in order to do that, keeping him might come at the cost of keeping other players on the NHL roster. So I think that that, uh, that fork in the road is going to be very interesting, and we're headed there uh, probably in about three weeks. But until then, DB, um, he's being given every opportunity to mm-hmm. showcase his talents. He started on the third line for the first two games that Ontario played this season. Uh, that was last weekend up in Vegas. They played the Henderson Silver Knights. They lost both, both of those games. Uh, they played a fantastic game on Wednesday night against the San Diego Goals, their bitter rival, much like the Kings. They lost that game in the final couple of seconds. I think it was... 4.7 seconds or something like that. They gave up the uh, the tying goal there and excuse me, the game winning goal. I'm sorry. It didn't even go to overtime. Uh, they are back at it tonight, Friday night. I've already posted on mayorsmanner.com the uh, the lineup uh, that, that they're projected to go with. They'll have a rematch on Sunday afternoon with Tucson. Byfield has been promoted to the top line. He was there on Wednesday night. He's playing with Tyler Madden. And uh, right now he's playing with the Kiel Thomas. DB, funny note there. It's kind of like the world juniors. It's fantastic. <laughs> on the top line, you have Byfield, playing with Akil Thomas, okay, Team Canada. On the second line, you have um, Kaliev playing with 
Um, uh, <laughs> thank you. I was, I was going to I don't know why my brain wanted to say Akil Thomas again. You have Turcotte playing with Kaliev. There's Team USA. And then on the third line, the two teams that are, it's like the European version right. of U.S. Canada rivalry is Sweden and Finland. And you have Kapari playing with Fagamo. Like so I don't know why, but I just chucked it. Oh, yes, where they just threw everybody onto one team. Yeah, team Europe, let's go. Team Europe, yes. Kopitar was the captain of Team Europe at the uh, was it 2016. Had a great time in Toronto with that tournament, by the way. Uh, the same cannot be said for Phil Kessel, but that's a different story for a different day. <laughs> it was one of my favorite tweets ever. But anyway, uh, Byfield's being given a great opportunity here and uh, looking forward to seeing what, he, what he's capable of doing. And the last thing I wanted to men mention, Dennis, is um, don't sleep on college hockey. They're, they're all this talk this year about the O and the dub and what's going on with these guys. Remember, they're also, uh, you have a bunch of players in college, and the Kings have done a fantastic job over the last couple of years mining college players and even the USHL, which is the precursor, kind of the United States version of junior hockey before players get to college. Brock Faber is playing for the University of Minnesota. And uh, he was the star, one of the stars for Team USA at the World Juniors Tournament. And he's on TV basically every weekend because Minnesota games are televised. And you also have a couple of other Kings prospects. And I, and I tweet this stuff out. Hopefully people are paying attention and, you know, maybe tuning in and watching the game. And even if you don't have time to watch the whole game, uh, check it out because it's exciting to watch some of these young players. Andre Lee, Ben Meehan. Uh, you have these college players, David Rennick, who's playing... Um, for St. Cloud State, he was fantastic on the program. So college hockey is still alive and well in the United States. And, uh, you know, certainly the hockey world appreciates it, appreciates it when you support all the leagues, not just the National Hockey League. Absolutely, Jay. Fantastic episode, Dennis. Loved it. Uh, what do you say? Should we do it again soon? Let's try, Jay. I think we should come back for one more at least. <laughs> all right. We'll be back, everybody. Enjoy your weekend. The Kings are off for several days. Enjoy it. Uh, tweet less and uh, read more. Enjoy your time off. We'll talk to you soon. It's your home, and I need to ask you a few favors. In the kitchen, there's a spider stuck between the window and the screen, and I know it's dead, and technically it's outside, but it's still freaking me out. Can you flick it out or something? Also, just to save some money and it's super easy, could you bundle your home and car insurance with Geico? Last thing, could you take the holiday decorations down? Yeah, I'm one of those. Geico. For bundling made easy, go to geico.com today.